So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. The following podcast contains explicit language. Our friend's parents had an, a basement where they had a big projector screen. So there was just one day where I wasn't forewarned or anything. Like, that was just the activity. The activity was that there was going to be porn projected in the basement. And I was going to be with my two best guy friends and this other friend whose house this was. I'll, I'll just call him Kay. Um, <laughs> we don't want to incriminate anyone. We don't want to incriminate anyone in the sixth grade. And then there were two other buddies from the neighborhood, which I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dario and some other kid. Like, they were together. They were a thing. Those are probably fake names, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the room itself is silent. I'm pretty sure you could, like, hear, like, the swallowing of of saliva. And I remember Dario and Buddy were holding um, the little pillows on their laps and I didn't get it, but soon after, I got it because I talked to my friend that went to public school about it, and they're oh. like, they had a boner. And I was like, oh. <laughs> The first time I watched porn, it was also in a room full of guys. We carted around a computer at a sleepover, all of us pretending like we've seen it before, but our boyish nervousness made it obvious that we were all just pretending. I can't imagine what it would have been like if a girl was there, let alone what it might have been like to be that girl. But Jessica Valladolid doesn't hold that day in the basement as a bad memory. Really, it's the opposite. She doesn't view it as weird or gross. She feels like she got a front row seat to how boys learn about sex. A lot of people would probably disagree about whether it's okay for a sixth grade girl to watch porn with her guy friends. But as she's describing it, that day helped shape her view of sex in ways that changed her life. And ultimately, the lives of a lot of boys too. I'm Eamon Ismail. And you're listening to Man Up. On this show every week, we tell honest, embarrassing, funny, and sometimes disturbing stories about our lives. I want to investigate where we get our ideas about what it means to be a man, what we need to learn, what we need to unlearn, and who we want to be. When I was Jessica's age, I was both confused and embarrassed for like four years straight. I never felt like I could confide what my body was going through with anyone, least of all my religious parents or much older siblings. My birds and the beast talk was my mom explaining in passing that when boys and girls are alone, they are joined by the devil. That's it. That was the whole talk. Instead, I learned from the other boys around me. That wasn't always a good thing. We saw girls like a game we were trying to win. Almost literally, we called each other players and our relationships the game. It took me a long time to acknowledge how messed up that is. Jessica watched all this happen in real time. She didn't know it back then, but she was almost studying it. She surrounded herself mostly with boys growing up, but instead of that shame that I feel looking back at how dumb we were, she sees her memories as the key to unlocking a better way to teach boys about sex, which is actually now her job. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I met Jessica when we were freshmen in high school. We had Spanish class together. You would like raise your hand and answer questions. And we were like, yo, some of us are trying to learn Spanish, you know? I was helping. I was a native speaker. (laughs) (laughs) You were like not slick about it at all. You had like the perfect accent. And we were all still like, yo tengo chicle in mi boca. And you were just like, yo tengo chicle in mi boca. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We're just going to let that sound like looking producers. We're going to let that slide. (laughs) We've been close friends ever since. All of our circle sees her this way. She's that friend that everyone feels like they can trust to share their feelings with. So bear with us while we giggle our way through this. And that uh, situation in the basement, that came a couple years before we even met. So, yeah, we watched some porn. It was a little uncomfortable. Then the boys started opening up to me later on about watching pornography. There was all these code words that I had like this in circle into where it was like, oh, I I wrote to Stephanie, let's say. And it really meant like I thought about Stephanie when I masturbated the other time. (laughs) So it was was a really interesting introduction. Mm -hmm. This was a space for young folks to just be together without any supervision. Mm -hmm. And I had a crush on one of the people eventually. Was it Um, Dario? No, it definitely wasn't Dario. (laughs) It was like (laughs) one of my best friends. It was just super cute. But... I remember on this one day, the dare was like, okay, like, you have to, like, show us your boobs. And I was like, (gasps) (laughs) and I was like, I'm not going to be no bitch. (laughs) So, like, I walked to the other room and I just, like, had moments with myself. where I was like, oh, my gosh, like, am I really going to show my boobs out here? And then um, I think... They were counting down, which made it so much worse. <laughs> They're like, okay, 20, 19. They're like, okay, we're going to give you 10 more seconds. 30. <laughs> like, keep going. Like, adding more time, but giving me more anxiety. And I finally decided to take off my shirt, unhook my training bra at the time. It was a training bra. Like, I was like, like a strong A. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and I kind of like held it over me. And I walked out and I was like, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, seven, and then I walked back in and like, it was like, whoa. Um, and that was like just a really funny memory that I recently had because of these conversations where I like, that was like my first like almost flash. Wow. So that doesn't seem like it was like a bad experience. No. It seems kind of like innocent. Yeah. And I appreciated like the conversations we then started to have about like crushes on people and like girls and It didn't always feel like they were, like, trying to be, like, aggressive or disrespectful to anyone. I really appreciate being in that Mm -hmm. in-group. It, I think, helped me understand, like, this process the boys were going through. But at the same time, it was so male-centered. I didn't have much of a space and also not having a sister to, like, talk about what it was like, like, as a a girl growing up. Mm. Um, But it was still a really interesting atmosphere to grow up into. I kept going back to that house and eventually I dated this, like, person I had a big crush on. Dario? No, not Dario. Never Dario. <laughs> I want you to unpack what you just said, though, mm-hmm. uh, about having it, the space being male-centric. Uh, what effect do you think that that had on you, on your perception on what a healthy relationship was supposed to be? I think it was sweet to still have these, like, deepening friendships where we would end up on the phone for, like, three hours um, and, like, talk about feelings. I didn't feel like oh, like, these boys, all they care about is, like, being able to have sex with someone. Like, I really saw these, like, boys as, like, my friends, like, these deep friendships. So I appreciate that. But the part where I didn't really have, like, a like a female connection, 
Interesting. Just thinking about like my body and I guess holding a space that was so hypersexualized like amongst boys, like I felt like that was comfortable in a way where maybe like I was like a really sexual person from like the beginning, like from middle school onward or from like being a young person. Like we're all sexual since like we're born and before we're born. But I didn't take time to be like a shy girl, I guess. But in terms of like my body and thinking about sexuality and knowing that that existed, like that wasn't something that I felt very shy about. That should give you an idea of how Jessica's personality may have shaped her particular response to these experiences. Not long after that, Jessica started exploring the real thing with boys. But spending all that time with her guy friends didn't automatically mean that she was ready. I wore these like matching, like not J-Lo because I couldn't afford J-Lo back then, but like a sweatsuit (laughs) type of situation. Mm -hmm. Also like very thin. So I asked my mom to come with me to buy a thong. I'm sure that like ripped her apart inside, but she still went with it. Pobrecita, bueno. So uh, I made her buy a thong with me, and then um, I wore this outfit, and I was like, this is like my first outside of school date because we went to the park. And that's when I got my first kiss, and I was like shaking. We were like in the park, and like we kissed, and that was like my first kiss in the park, wearing a thong. (laughs) Why is the thong so important? It's important to me because I think I was like feeling really grown i wanted to wear this song and like i knew that wearing white pants like you don't want to show that you're a kid and you like have like all this underwear on. <laughs> super silly but all of this made so much sense maybe it was the music videos i was watching <laughs> the music videos. clearly the matching sweatpants combination God was damn an influence i did the guy version of this i was watching those same music videos it's why i wore white t-shirts four times my size and sagged my jeans I figured if I acted older, maybe girls would see me as more of a man. So then my first like makeout session was with this first boyfriend. I was at a sleepover mm. and it was so gross. Uh, it was like very noisy and there was noisy. a lot of like, mm, and I was like, all like, it was right there in my Wait, ear. What did it sound like? Nobody knew what they were doing. <laughs> I'm like, mm. Mm. <laughs> it's like ew in my head I was like this is gross why am I in this world <laughs> like why do people do this this is not for me <laughs> damn I'm thinking about all of my kisses and I'm and thinking I'm damn that's exactly what I sounded no, like no and like ugh, I'm sorry first boyfriend out there like <laughs> Dario's listening like I would've done that better <laughs> never Dario <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to erase all of the memories of those awkward first encounters I watched a lot of movies and TV at that age And thanks to Spider-Man, I thought my first kiss was going to be me hanging upside down. But it was actually on a random stoop in Newark. A girl from school yanked my head by both my ears, like I was a horse and those were my reins. At that time, I was, you know, kind of still growing into my ears. I had no other point of reference, so of course that made me crazy and secure. I walked home that day wondering if my ears were going to hurt every time I had a kiss. Jessica, she doesn't seem like she wants to forget anything. So the first time I had sex was actually the first time I, like, gave oral, too. Mm-hmm. So I had braces. <laughs> this just came to me right now. Um, like, we're making out. And then they were, I think they were like, I have a condom or something. Like, mm-hmm. they also were like, this is it. Like, this is, <laughs> everybody knew it was going to happen. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this is what I should do because of porn. Like, I'm supposed to, like, give head right now. So I, like, proceeded. And then when it was actually happening... Like dick in mouth. I was like, <laughs> I didn't know what to expect, and here it is. <laughs> mm. um, and then that was fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> There's so much feeling. That's, uh, 
That's your uh, synopsis? Yeah, it was fine. And then I was like, okay. And now comes like the sex part of it. And that was the scarier part. Because mm. I was also thinking like, should we, can we stop here? Like, could this be it? And this was like not really developed language or feelings about like consent and like taking a break and all these things that like I now think about a lot more. But I also think was thinking like this idea of like boys are like microwaves and like, oh, no, like now there's this whole erection and now I've like stimulated this erection and like now we have to have sex. I went for it and we had like this very uncomfortable like first time trying like in, in missionary, like trying to like penetrate and then it happened and it was like this noise coming from like my boyfriend, like they're like. Like an exhale, also like this like new maybe feeling like expression like like uh like whoa yeah, yeah. and and so we had a few like penetrative thrusts and then they got like really nervous and they like lost their erection and they were like this felt really good I think the condom came off though so the condom came off they had to fish the condom out of me yeah more cringing me too. Hearing this, I'm thinking back to all the times I felt like I needed to perform for girls, to put on a show, to make them feel like I knew what I was doing. Which has me thinking about the darker part of the basement scenario, that many of us get our first ideas about sex from porn. That's probably not a good thing. If all you know is porn, then everything feels like it's following a script, because that's what porn does. You get naked, and then there's this step-by-step guide that's just playing out on your computer. But who's really thinking about the other person in that moment? It's just acting. You know, you had like this behind the scenes look at these these young boys coming of age. I think most people would imagine uh, watching porn at a young age to be like a bad thing. I always think of like sex encounters as like, are people just doing things that they see in porn? There was conversations where my boyfriend was like, oh, like your vagina or your labia is like longer or this looks like too close or like this is like, like just talking about like my genitals. I was like, that's fucked up, but it also makes me feel really abnormal. Like, is there something wrong with me? And that definitely has to come from porn. Just like seeing like vulvas and what vulvas are supposed to look like in this like small percentage of people or like editing, whatever it may be. Jessica is in a lot of ways still a student, but her experiences as a child, as a teen, as an adult, all became a vehicle for education. In Newark, she's been a longtime sex educator, mentoring adults with bar events like Sex at Bingo, with immigrant groups who speak only Spanish, and elementary school kids through various after-school programs. She kind of created the role for herself, and recently she's joined a nonprofit in New York as a senior adult sex educator. Her goal is to create spaces for young adults to learn about healthy sex. I wish I had someone like that back then. I had to recontextualize my relationship with sex very very late in life and for me at least in my circle of guy friends sex was something that you took from someone uh it was almost was like a violent thing like we use words like smash and Mm. even just through the language that we used our relationship to sex was something that we collected i remember the first time i ever had sex i was in the car with my dad and for some reason, no, that wasn't like, I'm saying after, after. <laughs> you can only. After the first time I had mm-hmm. sex, I was in the car with my dad. And one of the thoughts that crossed my mind mm-hmm. was, there's two men in this car. And we're both going slow. Whoa. I was like, yeah, we're men now. I'm a man now kind of thing. Um, that's kind of silly. I don't know. I feel like that's, it's kind of juvenile to think that that's where manhood starts is when you have sex with a girl. 
I want to say like 18, 19. That's when I started thinking about sex as something that you shared with someone. And that's sad. That sucks. So I wonder uh, uh, if you ever come across this when you're when you're teaching like sex ed and and that kind of mindset and how you start to yeah help them learn (laughs) i think this could come from like multiple places so like my two more recent experiences with sex ed um someone said like oh like i got a new girlfriend i broke up with the other one because like she was a hoe (laughs) and then another one was like oh well i found out that such and such likes me she could get it or someone was like oh yeah she's dating such and such i would take her from him and this is the same language that you're talking about Mm -hmm. like taking someone like getting something from someone, um, like the value or devaluing of someone because they've been or in some type of contact with other people because we use language like take when we're talking about things. And these are people. These are people just like your sisters and your mothers and your best friends and your family. These are people when the language is so common. And they're starting from an early age. And like you said, like up until 18. And like I hear adults talking that way too, like way grown more than 18 and 19 And it's really sad. Or even when, like, playfully I hear friends objectifying someone. And I do it too playfully. Like, a lot of times, even with you, they'll be like, yo, like, damn, that ass is fat, whatever, right? (laughs) Um, There are moments where I reflect, though, and I'm present, and it it makes me think about, like, where does this lead to? And I think about violence. Mm -hmm. Like, when someone is no longer a human in some context, it's so much more open to violence. That's making me think about the background of where we were growing up and this atmosphere that punished softness and rewarded toughness Mm -hmm. that had to have played a part and played a hand into at least my relationship with sex early on. I mean, you, you were in the same playgrounds. Like you saw like us boys just get in a circle and just start playing these games where we just like hit each other and trying to bruise each other Make up. Make each other's fun. knuckles bleed. Yeah. And, like, Bloody knuckles was dope. How, how is that a game? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm thinking back to just the role that violence played in our mm-hmm. our lives mm-hmm. and how violence was like connected to having fun and connected to pleasure in a way that might have had a relationship to us seeking pleasure and that pleasure was also violent. I do acknowledge that growing up, I like saw myself in like a submissive role where like I had to accept some type of aggression in my sexual encounters with men or boys. That's the way that I saw it in porn. Like there wasn't like a dominating woman. And if it was, it was something like really kinky or like or like what I imagined was a fetish. Um, instead, what was accessible was what you just see on like the front page of all porn. Um, just like someone mildly in pain maybe <laughs> like <laughs> receiving someone like aggressively like thrusting at them yeah. which like throughout my sexual experiences like i realized like I, being jackhammered is not good for me it's like yeah. and i was like mm. and i imagine like even the other person was like this must be what it looks like <laughs> um when i think about vulnerability of like perhaps like the women and children in the family would rather see you like die in battle than to fall off your horse type of situation like you don't complain about this like we're depending on you and that is very masculine and maybe that's something that, like we were playing into and maybe my like femme perceptions of lack of power were like i want to be at this cafeteria table and playing bloody knuckles because i can handle pain too mm-hmm. um and like wanting that too like proving ourselves through like we can withstand things too mm-hmm. this like resiliency yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, it almost felt like 
uh, putting ourselves through these circumstances where we had to experience violence and pain was a way that we'd connect with this identity. When I think about gender violence, is that a lack of education? Is like committing violence against someone because of the way that they're presenting themselves a lack of education? Is it a complete lack of empathy? Or like this constant competition of like no one is the perfect person unless they are. And let's say this like tall, thin, good looking, youngish white male with a lot of power and money. When you are not that, like what are you fighting in there? I feel like the conversation about sex and power also has a lot to do with like um, like social power with people who can own more. To be honest, I look back at my coming of age with shame. It was awkward. I was a jerk, and that's hard to confront. But Jessica sees those experiences as useful, and she's making me realize that maybe I should too. Even a couple years into marriage, I'm still figuring out what a healthy approach to sex looks like. And my past experiences are essential to that. Listening to Jessica's story taught me how we can all benefit from cringing a little more at our pasts. How are we supposed to get better if we don't know how we got here? Next week, we're going to hear a little bit of a ghost story. Well, not really. It's about a young man who looked all around him for a role model. And when he failed to find one, he ended up fixating on his dad, even though he only really met him a few fateful times. If you want to join in on the conversation, call 805-MAN-UP-07 or 805-626-8707 and leave us a message if you've also been looking for a role model or if you have something else that you want to share. Man Up is hosted and written by me, Eamon Ismail. Our producers are Cameron Drews and Danielle Hewitt. Our executive producers are Jeffrey Bloomer and Loan Liu. Gabriel Roth is our editorial director of Slate Podcasts. June Thomas is the senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts. TJ Raphael is the senior producer of the Slate Podcast Network. And don't forget to email us at manup@slate.com and tell us what you think of the show. Is there a conversation you think we should have? Let us know. And please leave a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. We'll be back next week with more Man Up. So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.